the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. It shouldn't surprise us that when we cry out, He doesn't really hear us. I mean, in some ways, hasn't God turned a deaf ear to America? Our sins before Him, the ways that we have offended Him, denied Him, ignored Him, embraced and celebrated laws and policies that are so contrary to God, it must grieve Him and offend Him like we can't even imagine. And then we cry out to Him and we wonder, why doesn't He hear us in that day? God punished Israel when they sinned and turned their backs on him. He always had them deal with the consequences of their sins, but he also always gave them grace and forgave them when they turned back to him. Today, Pastor Gary is going to show you that God is the same today. You may have sinned and even still be dealing with the consequences of it, but you can still be forgiven. God's waiting to move in the hearts of anyone who turns to Him from their sin for forgiveness and lives for Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 7 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. The lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So, you know, here the Philistines have just suffered. God afflicted them. I mean, God has a sense of humor. He afflicted them. The King James says amrods. But when you look at what the language means, he gave them hemorrhoids. That's a laugh, isn't it? He gave the Philistines hemorrhoids because they had the Ark of the Covenant. And then they sent it back to the Israelites. So they just got through that miserable thing. And now what do they want to do? They want to go fight the Israelites again. Like they just can't stop. So they're ready to wage war against the Israelites because the Israelites have gathered at Mizpah. They're in a place of, they're contrite, they're confessing their sins before God. And the Philistines want to capitalize on what they perceive as a weakness. These people are, they're all sullen and they're crying before God and they're broken. This will be a good time for us to attack them. Let me tell you something. Whenever you're broken before God, that's your strongest. But the enemy will think that's your weakest. And the enemy will try to pounce on you in those moments. And the Philistines are like, we're going to pounce on the Israelites. Because they're, look at all their brokenness. They're there in Mizpah. They're all weeping, crying, fasting, and praying before God. This will be a good chance for us to take advantage of them. Only it doesn't work out that way. Because when they're really broken before the Lord, that's when they have the strength of the Lord. Well, the Philistines don't know that. So here they come. Verse 8, so the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb 
and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. That doesn't say how, but the Lord somehow answered him. Verse 10, now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused, the Hebrew word is hamam, so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. So God just kind of sends this confusion amongst the enemy army of the Philistines, and they're so confused that they're overcome. And verse 11 says, And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below beth And then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Now circle the word Ebenezer there. It's from two Hebrew words, Eber meaning stone and Ezer meaning help. Ebenezer means stone of help. Now, why? You know, we all have a tendency to forget the things that God does. And so what Samuel was doing was setting up this kind of little memorial or monument to the faithfulness of God. He didn't want the Israelites to forget what God had done on this day. So this little stone served to be a reminder that God helped them in their time of need, and he named it Ebenezer. Now, for those who have been around the church long enough, there is a song that uh, we sometimes sing. It's an old classic hymn of the faith. It's Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. There might have been times when you have sung that song where you've come to this thing about raising up your Ebenezer, and you're like, what does Ebenezer Scrooge have to do with any of this? Well, it doesn't have to do with Ebenezer Scrooge. It has to do with this story here. And so I'm going to read some of the verses of the song, of the hymn. It was written in 1758 by Robert Robinson, who got saved under George Whitfield's ministry. And he wrote this song, just three stanzas I'll read to you. But it says, Come thou fount of, no, I'm not going to sing it. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet. Sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. And then here's the stanza. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my yielded heart to thee. Let me know thee in thy fullness, guide me by thy mighty hand, till transformed in thine own image, in thy presence I shall stand. Amen. And when that hymn speaks there about raising up an Ebenezer, the writer of the hymn was simply saying, may I always remember the faithfulness of God in my life. May I always remember when he rescued me, delivered me, and helped me. He is my stone. He is my rock, the stone of my help. And so he sets this up here to remind the people, the Lord has helped us today. Verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. Isn't that good? And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. 
Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Now, in my Bibles, I just underlined three words. In verse 14, I underlined the word restored, and also the word recovered, and also the word peace. Right there in verse 14, what I just read, restored, recovered, and peace. Because I think this paints a picture for us of what happens when we do get right with the Lord, when we do forsake our sins and our idols kind of a thing, and the things that interfere in our walk with the Lord. What happens when we confess our sins and we get right with Him? He's the one who comes to our aid. And when He comes to our aid... We are restored, we recover what is lost, and we have peace. It's just like this picture of like, this is how God works. When we rebel against him, we invite hardship. When we confess our sin and get right with him, he fights for us, and we find this wonderful restoration and recovering of things and the peace that only he can bring. And so verse 15, at the end of this chapter, it says, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. So he's governing them. He's leading them. He went from year to year in a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. So kind of like a circuit rider preacher. I don't know if it was on horseback, but he went, you know, all these different places here. But he always returned, verse 17, but he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. And there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. We find out from chapter 1 that Ramah was the place where he was born. So he goes back to his birthplace. So he travels around, and he leads, and he governs, and he judges in this way, but he always comes home to Ramah. Let's go into chapter 8. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, or Yoel, and the name of his second, Abijah, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons, notice, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Now, I want you to notice, remember, Samuel was brought to the tabernacle by his mother, given as a young boy because she had made a promise to God that she would give her son to the Lord if she were able to conceive. She did conceive. So she gave Samuel Shmuel in Hebrew, meaning God hears. He heard her prayer. She was good on her promise, and she gave Samuel to Eli the high priest to be raised in the tabernacle of the Lord. And remember, Eli, though himself, the Bible doesn't say, was a wicked man. It says his sons were wicked men. But in Eli's case, it says that He never interfered with his sons, and so he was culpable. Samuel, however, grew up under this, seeing this. Eli never interfered, never restrained, never disciplined his sons. So he was responsible. But here's where it's different. Samuel, it doesn't say anything about his lack of parenting. It doesn't say he didn't restrain his sons. It didn't say that he overlooked their sin. It just says that his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Why do I mention this? Because there's no indication that Samuel, unlike Eli, did anything wrong in the raising of his sons. But kids have wills of their own. And sometimes you can do the best you can, and they don't 
follow your ways. They don't follow the ways of the Lord that you're trying to live out for them. So, you know, sometimes people feel guilt if their grown kids end up, you know, kind of going in a different direction and your heart breaks for them. But look, you know, don't go around with the guilt because like all of us are going to make parental mistakes and that there's no perfect parent and you can do the best you can. And still sometimes because everybody has a will, grown children will not follow in the ways of the Lord. It's heartbreaking. We pray for them. We pray for you for them. Samuel was a prophet who loved the Lord and lived for the Lord, but his sons chose a different way of living. Dishonest gain, took bribes, perverted justice. So it says in verse 4, now, this is where from this point on, you're going to notice with me that the Israelites are going to ask for a king. They don't like Samuel as a judge. They don't like his sons as judges. They don't like this form of leadership. They want a king. Here's what they do, verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, which is not a great introduction to the guy, but like, look, old man, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, make us a king to judge as like all the nations. Now, underline that, we'll come back to it. But they're comparing their form of government. See, the reality is they have a king and his name is Yahweh. But they don't like the king, and they don't like the king's servant, who's the judge that God has raised up. And so what do they want? They want a king like all the other nations. We want to be governed like they are governed. And so it says in verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And so Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people. Now this is interesting, but listen to what the Lord says to him. Heed the voice of the people in all that they say, to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice, however you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. All right, your attention for a moment. God's basically saying this. Samuel, don't take this personally. They've come to you. They're calling you an old man. They don't want to be judged by you. They want to be judged or led by a king just like the nations around them. God says to Samuel, don't take it personally. It's nothing against you. It's really against me. He said they want to serve other gods. They want to serve other kings. They want to live like the people around them instead of being a people devoted to me. And he says, it's been like this since I led them out of the wilderness of Egypt. They've been serving other gods. They've been worshiping other idols. It's not you, Samuel, that they're rejecting. They're rejecting me. So, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to tell them they can go ahead and have a king. Because when they get a king, they're going to realize how much better they had it with me. You know, we all can think to ourselves, it's better on the other side, you know, and the, the pasture's always greener on the other side, you know, and, and then we come to find out, oh, it's not at all, and we had it better the way it was, but we didn't know at the time. Man, these people are just ungrateful, but they're no different than any of us. And so God says to Samuel, go ahead and tell them, they can have a king. He says, but I want you to forewarn them, here's what they're going to get. And so Samuel goes to the people, and notice what he says to them, verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. And I want you to notice the number of times the word take 
is mentioned. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots, and he will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. Okay, that's the first thing he's going to take. What's he going to take? He's going to take your sons because any king needs an army. See, there's no need for an organized army when God is the captain of the host of Israel. He'll just use the men of Israel to fight, and God will give them the victory. But now, you want an earthly king? Okay, guess what? You're going to have to have selective service here. And uh, your young men are going to get drafted into the army of Israel. So get ready. And some are going to run in front of the chariots, and some are going to be driving the chariots, and some are going to be making weapons, and some are going to be working in the fields. But you're going to have to be giving up your sons to an army. Got that? That's the first thing. Next thing, verse 13. He will take... There you go again. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. Okay, because every king needs a palace, and every king who has a palace needs people to work in the palace, whether it's the east wing or the west wing, right? And so we got to have a staff. we got an army. we got to have, you know civil servants, and so we need a staff. We need your daughters. We need your sons. We need your fields and vineyards and olive groves to give them as servants. Verse 15, and he will take, here you go again, take, take, take. Has anybody ever felt like the government took from you? That's what we're describing here. We're describing a government now that is going to be launched as a monarchy with a king in charge. So he will take, notice this, oh, what do we have here? A tenth of your grain. Can anyone identify with taxes? That's what's happening now. A tenth of your grain, you're going to be taxed, and your vintage, and give it to his officers and servants, and he will take, take, take again, take your male servants and female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys. Oh, we have Democrats here too, and you're going to, we're going to put them to his work. And verse 17, he will take, more, take, 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 and he will take a tenth of your sheep, And you will be his servants, and you will cry out, notice this, and you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. i got to be honest with you. I was reading through this and studying this today, and I thought, I'm feeling this right now. I seriously am feeling this right now. It's like, in many ways, government which is supposed to be there to protect and defend the common welfare, to have a common defense for us, the government takes and takes and takes, and we serve government, and government is ordained by God, except when government operates beyond the parameters of God and becomes oppressive and overreaches in its power and control and dominion. Take and take and take and take and tax and tax and tax and tax. And then we cry out to God because we are putting our confidence in government instead of God. And we wonder why he doesn't listen to us. Why doesn't God hear us? Well, because government is not the answer. God is. 
But when we turn to government as the source to be all things to us, and we lose sight of God as really the one who is the source of all things for us, then it shouldn't surprise us that when we cry out, he doesn't really hear us. I mean, in some ways, hasn't God turned a deaf ear to America? Our sins before him, the ways that we have offended him, denied him, ignored him, embraced and celebrated laws and policies that are so contrary to God, it must grieve him and offend him like we can't even imagine. And then we cry out to him and we wonder, why doesn't he hear us in that day? Six times the word take is mentioned there. Samuel says to all the people, okay, this is what you want. You're going to have a king that's going to take your sons for an army, going to take your daughters, perfumers and cooks, and people are going to be working in the offices of the palace of the king. You're going to be taxed a tenth of fields and your vineyards and your olive groves. You ready for all this? This is what's going to happen. We're going to continue to take and take and take. You got this? And the people say, Verse 15, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, there it is again, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Not God. We want an earthly system here that we think is going to take care of us and fight our battles. Can you imagine after Samuel gets through saying all this, you really want a king? Here's what's going to happen. Do, 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 do. Here's the checklist of all that's going to happen. You good with this? They're like, yeah, we're good with that. Can you imagine that? Like, yeah, we're good with that. Yeah, we're fine with that. Take our sons and daughters. Yeah, no big deal. You're going to tax us. You're going to, fine, no problem. Go ahead and do all that. And it says at the end of this chapter, And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to a city. This is four things of what happened here in the nation of Israel. And I want us to take this to heart. Number one, they had become disappointed with spiritual leadership. Thank you, Samuel. You're an old guy. You're kind of washed up. We don't even know if you hear from God anymore. We don't really like you, but thank you very much. We want a king. Number two, they'd become dissatisfied with being different. What does that mean? They'd become dissatisfied with being different. God wanted a people who were devoted to him and unlike the rest of the nations who worshiped other false gods. And they're like, no, we don't really want to be different. We want to be like everybody else. Can I just say to you that an imminent threat to your relationship with God is when you are driven by a desire to be just like everybody else. An imminent threat to your relationship with God is when you are driven by a desire. I just want to be like everybody else. God calls us as followers of Jesus to be distinct and different. I didn't say obnoxious you know, and so isolated and exclusive that you can't relate to people who need Jesus. Of course not, because we need to engage the culture and be salt and light in our world. But we shouldn't be acting and living like them. And the people of Israel got dissatisfied with being different. We don't want to be different anymore. We want to be like everybody else. Number three, they'd become distant from God as a result. It's very hard to be close to God and live like the world. And number four, they had become distracted by all the worldly influences around them. We want a king like the other nations around us. And it will not serve them well, and they will regret their request, but God will acquiesce to help them see. You see, 
you always have it better with me. We always have it better with the Lord. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from 1 Samuel again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in 1 Samuel and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.